Welcome to Demand Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demond, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demondcast. This Bronx born brother is a director, writer, and producer. Some call him a dream maker. Whether he's at Sundance Film Festival at 17, starting a film program, or mentoring, this man is like his trip to Russia, one of a kind. Please give it up for Jamal High. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Feel like I'm running into the stadium right now, brother. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Got me hyped. I'm glad to be here, Damon, man. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you for taking time out to talk to a perfect stranger. I appreciate it. It's all good, man. It's uh, all good, man. I was looking through some of the awards, and the one, one of the ones that stuck out to me, and it made me giggle, and I didn't know if you had any story behind this, but the one you, one of the awards you won for Best Screenplay for Morning Meal... I want to say it was the Boobs and Blood uh, <laughs> Festival. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's Boobs and Blood. Yeah. Yeah. Do people just start just pulling these out of the hat, or they're just are the organizers just have a tongue-in-cheek sense of humor? Like, <laughs> It's based around a convention, and um, a lot of the people, all the judges are women, and, all the, and also they all do, they donate a lot of money to like, breast cancer so i guess they them because they do horror and then they got a lot of like hot girls there and then all the judges are women and then all the also like you know it's to do with breast cancer they just felt like you know little tongue-in-cheek call it booze and blood i mean it definitely gets the attention i mean it got mine it got mine too yeah I gush almost all over my, all my guests, so just just I should probably should have warned you that too. You were at the Sundance Film Festival. You had a film at the Sundance Film Festival at seventeen years old. Yeah, but I didn't really know what Sundance was, and I was like really creeped out at the time because I was like, yo, there's like no black people. I like this is the whitest place I've ever been, man. It was just nothing but white snow and white people. I was like, yo, people could probably see me for miles out here, like. I was so black that I'm like, they probably could see me from like 10 miles away. You know, all jokes aside, um, it was for a documentary called An African American in Russia that I had done when I had went to Siberia and did a documentary. We didn't know what the hell we were doing <laughs> on some level, but people really received the film and um, it did pretty well. That is wild. So how did you get banished to Siberia? John Alpert, who's the head of DCTV, he was like, hey, you guys want to be in an exchange program? You know, we'll have some kids from Tomsk, Siberia. It's the biggest city in Siberia. You know, they'll come to New York and you guys will go over there for the summer. So it was like, what? Once we said, yeah, then getting closer to the date, he was like, oh, you know, have your parents sign this. It's like, oh, if you die, it's not our fault. <laughs> And then we all, you know, we all went over there, man, and it was a crazy experience. This was like on the tail end of the transition when um, Russia was transitioning into a a somewhat of a um, democracy or capitalist. Capitalism, this one from socialism to capitalism, 
we went over there and we did a documentary about various aspects of Russian living. And, you know, uh, that was my first time traveling out of the country. And my first time actually on a plane was, a, you know, was a 13 plus hour flight to Moscow and then another four hour flight to um, Siberia. But it was uh, an insane experience. You know, people were treating me kind of like I was an alien out there in a good way. They were really, really polite. I was seeing at people's houses, families were coming over. They just never met a black person before. It was crazy. I had, I had a lot of a, a lot of good times. And then I heard that there was this one black dude out there. And I was, you know, people were saying like, hey, yeah, he comes out at night. And I was just like, what the fuck? It's like finding Bigfoot. Like, what the hell? Was he a buggy um, man? And, and, then I, and then I went and I found him. <laughs> he was chilling. <laughs> it was like the only black dude out there. It was hilarious. Yeah, and it was being great. People really liked it. Um, we were staying in this summer camp out there as well. So it was my first encounter with the outhouse. That was a lot of first encounters out there, actually. And, you know, I realized, you know, because at the time, you know, I, all I knew was, like, I really didn't like white people like that. <laughs> and I went to Russia, and the white people I was with, they didn't really like them like that either. <laughs> at first. And then I was hanging out and stuff, and then I saw, I learned out there that, you know, they had stuff in, you know, sometimes even worse than the, than the than the brothers and sisters I knew over here. So I understood that oppression and poverty was a universal problem. And it, it created a lot of empathy in me for other people of other races, people that were different from me. It just made me more want to look into, like, understanding the individual stories rather than having, like, a blanket point of view on others. And that kind of changed my life and sent me on a whole completely different path. Yeah, it was, it was really a pivotal trip in my life, you know? Wow. That's geez. that's amazing. That's amazing. And two black guys in, <laughs> two black guys in Russia, that, that's unbelievable. Yeah, it was probably like looking for Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was funny looking for that, brother. It was, <laughs> it was funny. So, are you ready to answer the six questions? I'm here. I'm down. I'm ready. Let's All right. Question number one. When did you know you wanted to be a filmmaker? Well, I didn't know that I wanted to be a filmmaker per se, but I was new. A filmmaker is just a lens for a bigger thing, right? A more pure thing. And that pure thing is a storyteller. And that could take, uh, you know, I could, it could take many forms you know, as a novelist, as a actor, you know, just storyteller. So I knew I wanted to be a storyteller when I was five years old. I've always loved stories. I understood from a very young age that stories were a type of food that people couldn't live without. Like, like people don't really need my stories, but they need stories to survive, literally. Almost every form of communication and is a story. Even a, even a scientific theory is a story until you prove it. It, it's, become, it's a story that gets proven by, like, you know, trial and error and experimentation, if you think about it. But the story always comes first. So I was no one to be a storyteller. I got some published when I was, like, in the fifth grade, an uh, urban kind of Cinderella story. And, you know, I had, I had a hard childhood when I was a kid. So, you know, I was, you know, I was even homeless at a certain point. But writing kind of took me to other worlds and reading took me to other worlds. So once I got to like 15, when I went to a job at DC TV, 
and they had like a two year extensive film training program. They said, like, "Oh, we're gonna give you a stipend." And I was like, "Oh shit!" Writing is great, but people are lazy, so they want to more just watch things and absorb things. So I was just like, "Okay, this is a quicker way to get people to digest your stories." So I got I fell in love with that, and I, and I, and I love the showmanship of um, cinema. So like around. 16, 17 years old, I kind of really committed to the craft of filmmaking. Rather than just being a writer, I became more of a filmmaker. So that's what I know. You said you got a, it was like an urban Cinderella story. Have you been published since then? Well, I, I did. I've been published a lot as a poet, especially in the, in, the, in the last couple of years. You know, obviously Linda Addison, you know, the great Linda Addison is my uh, mentor. So I've been really like getting published a lot recently in the last two years. But between that, there was a large gap where it was more like me writing screenplays because I was like more fully immersed in the film side of things, you know, than books. But next year, I, I intend to release a full-on poetry novel and a, and a science fiction novel. So I'm excited about that. And you heard it here first, or maybe second. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Question number two. What do you wish you had known when you first started out? I wish I would have known that, <laughs> that you know, things that are external are finite and things that are internal are infinite. It's not so much about what you accomplish. You know, when I first started this business, I want to accomplish all these big things. And it's not really so much about what you accomplish. It's about who you accomplish it with and who you accomplish it for. You know what I mean? If I would have known that in the beginning, I would have made a lot of different choices as an artist and with the people that I surrounded myself with and with my motivations. Because even if you succeed, if you're doing things for the wrong reason, there's no satisfaction in it. It's a pyrrhic victory. You know, now that I know that, I've been uh, rectifying that situation. And now, you know, I'm surrounded by people where, like, think or swim, the loyalty, the love, the respect, and the commitment is there. So it's easy to struggle to be in the trenches with people like that, where with people who you want to see their kids go have enough money to go to college, to the best colleges, who you just want good things for, and they want good things for you. It's easy to face anything or any challenge where you're doing things for the right reasons or with the right people. So that's what I wish I would have known. A lot of that um, reminds me of something that I heard you say. Let me make sure I got it right. Take someone else's dream and make it your own. Yes, sir. Because like, if, if you just have a dream on its own, it's isolated and it, it can't breathe, you know? It's, it's kind of like this whole trying to own everything for yourself, like we're taught, I feel like, in this culture. It's very destructive. And actually, the people that are very successful, none of them operate that way. <laughs> you know? From the outside looking in, it looks that way. But being in it, you know, most of the really successful families in the world, the individuals lead with their family name. But then they tell you that it's just up to you by yourself to be an individual. But almost nobody who's successful it's just an individual, you know? They all are part of a larger group. They might be the face of that group or representative of that group. But, you know, their success makes other people successful. You got to open your hand first if you want somebody to open theirs. 
you know, take on the other, uh, if you believe in somebody and, and you believe in somebody else's dream, you know, you take on their dream and they'll take on yours. And, you know, from there, you become kind of unstoppable. You form this thing called a mastermind. A mastermind is like, you can't see the back of your head, but the, your person beside you can see the back of your head and you can see the back of their head. So you can protect each other from failure, you know, and create opportunities. You know, when your dream is somebody else's dream, they're looking for opportunities for you even while you're sleeping, even when you're not around. So the road is always expanding in ways that you could have never conceived of because you're you, you know? And you can't be in two places at once or three places at once. Yeah, that's what I mean by that. You said something interesting. Why do you think that the idea of rugged individualism is so prominent? Like, why do you think, why do you believe people, at least in America, believe that so strongly? Well, it may, it, well because we're a consumer culture and family prevents lack, right? Right. Sales, you have to create lack in a person. So it's much easier to create lack in an individual than it is in a group. So, so to manipulate people, to get people to buy, to keep on buying, you need them to feel like they're by themselves and it's just them. So that's why I think it is. I think it's really just sales. It's really, it makes a better consumer if the person feels like they're by themselves and that getting somewhere is going to make them happy. Because a lot of times we find our happiness in being of service to others. That's actually the easiest way to be happy. So I say, if anybody's ever depressed, and it's a lot of depression as an artist, a lot of times you're alone, you feel that loneliness more than a lot of people serve others. If you serve others, you know, it gets you out of that individualism mindset. I mean, you definitely need to have some of that, you know what I mean? And you definitely have that pride and uh, ego and all that stuff to make it in this industry because you're confronted with so much rejection and so much doubt and so much uncertainty to live this life. You need those things. But at the same time, you kind of have to understand that, you know, you're just one person. It's about the group. It's about the people that you touch in your life. It's about all that stuff. You know, if you, you just keep a focus on your own personal lack and you're just by yourself, it just kind of makes it really hard to ever be happy with what you're doing or to ever feel complete or to even succeed. You know, because everybody who I know that succeeded, every star that you know, they have, they're like athletes, like like they have a, a, a vocal coach, uh, an agent, a lawyer, uh, a manager. I think it's a whole team of people around this person. This person, this individual is an amalgamation of an entire group, an entire team. You see what I mean? Yeah. Nobody's ever done, if you really think about it, nobody's ever done anything by themselves. Right. Even more so. In our society, we, we didn't invent our own language. We didn't create our own food. We didn't make our own clothes. We didn't build our own homes. You know what I'm saying? We all live and thrive off each other. So it's kind of like, that's, I think that's a much healthier perspective to have than this whole thing. Oh, yeah, I did this. It was just me or something like that. No, you know, everybody is contributing. You know what I'm saying? I can't make, as a director... I can't make a movie by myself. I can't act and shoot the camera, shoot myself and stuff. I need people. Question number three.
What's your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? Hmm. My, my, my favorite hometown restaurant is my kitchen. <laughs> okay. But, but if I was to say what's my favorite meal when I go out, I definitely like Bobby Jan's a lot. And, you know, to get the ribeye with mash and um, the spinach and um, usually like either a glass of red or Heineken. It's like my go-to combination. So what do you like to cook? Well, I like to cook dead animals. <laughs> animals that died so I can live. I consume them. But, you know, I, I like uh, you know, just regular things, man. Ribs, you know, steaks, chicken. Even though I don't fry it almost ever. But, you know, lately I've been doing a lot of, like, uh, fruit bowls. I go, like, a day without eating any sort of meat. I'm trying to get to three days. And I do, like, a fish day as well. Things are evolving. You know, trying to stay on this planet, on this spaceship a little little while longer. And keep the body moving as best as it can. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want to make sure when I die, the maggots have something good to eat. You know what I mean? <laughs> make sure yourself make sure that you're nice and nutritious yeah I'm gonna be nutritious when I die question number four what are you curious about well the more accurate question would be why am I not curious about you know you know something that really always touched me about Einstein who was kind of an asshole which is kind of funny but it makes sense. Genius and being an asshole. Genius and being an asshole is usually synonymous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Einstein said that, what, like curiosity is more important than, intelli- than intelligence. Other people have said that it's actually the main factor of intelligence, you know, just curiosity. I, I really, really agree with that because I feel like I'm a person that's always learning. I usually, I have a mandate I have to learn something new every day. So I'm always on things like Masterclass or on YouTube. I've learned <laughs> um, that intelligence is only valuable in its application. And in, in the today's day and age where you can have like the internet supplement your knowledge, the main thing is actually how you combine knowledge and how you apply knowledge is what's actually the most important part of it. It's no longer just ingesting information like that anymore, you know? So for me, I'm curious about everything, man. I am a big astronomy nut, very curious about just how planets operate and, you know, the universe. Because I feel like artists, we're kind of like internal astronauts. <laughs> like astronauts they deal with the external and artists we deal with the internal so we're kind of like astronauts in our own way so I'm always fascinated by actual like astronauts because they are some of the bravest and the best amongst us as human beings and I'm very curious about actors actually <laughs> I'm fascinated by actors I'm fascinated by people who I don't know. It's almost like a form of benevolent prostitution <laughs> as an actor, um, because they have to. They give up more than their body to something. The prostitute only gives their body, but these people are giving up. They're loaning their emotions, their their spirit, their 
perspectives. They they just they give so much, um, which is why in their everyday life people are like, oh that person's an asshole, but they give so much to everyone that they have to hold on to something for themselves. But I'm just fascinated by the actors' minds, how they think about life, how where did the characters go when the role is over, how long did they live with the character afterwards, things like that. I'm just fascinated by actors. Obviously, you know, like like most men, you know, I'm fascinated just by women, by the opposite sex. And, you know, they're so similar yet so different from us. I'm fascinated by the origins of pain and and, 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 and suffering and, and, and the connection between pain and meaning. A lot of my films are kind of like about that. We focus so much of our attention on what we don't want rather than creating what we do want, you know, I, I, you know, it's just why, you know, how we spend our attention more so much on the negative than the positive and how meaning like if something hurts, we value it more. Like if, if, if you give somebody the same truth about them, feeling like they had to work for it or there was no struggle, no pain involved, they don't value it. And why that is like, why, why do we, Say we want comfort, but then crave struggle. You know that dichotomy, that contrast is very um, interesting to me. But yeah, yeah, I'm curious about a lot of things, brother. I can tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I get excited about that question. <laughs> I, that's my. It's my favorite question because there's no telling what somebody's going to say. And I've had some wacky, now, I don't want to say wacky answers, but I've had some answers that just have blown me away. And I always learned this. Probably, that's probably the question I learned the most from personally. Yeah. Yeah. And now even on a dark note, it's just like, I'm also curious about how, like the nature of violence, right? Because we, we, we always see violence as a negative, but really life only exists because violence does. And death only exists because violence does. It's kind of like violence is the, the midpoint between life and death. It's the glue that combines them, you, you know, in a sense. And what I mean by that, I don't mean like violence, like the unnatural version of it, like just robbing somebody or wars or things like that. Just to live, you only are alive because you've consumed other living things. Everything around you that you see has consumed other living things. That's why it exists. And then one day you too will be consumed and those things will be consumed and it, and it, it, will, it will go on and on and on. It's like this giant recycling machine that we live in where forms constantly coalesce and consume other forms and become other forms and then coalesce. And it's, it's just a very fascinating um Thing, like in the world, like everything that's alive in this world has consumed other living things to be alive and will one day, in fact, be consumed as well. So that fascinates me, too. I'm very curious about that as well. You know, I have dark interests, I guess. <laughs> Question number five. Is there anything I should have asked but didn't? No, I think people are sick of hearing me talking. I don't know. Um, I mean, no, I think, you, you know, you've asked some deep, good questions, man. I can't think of anything. Hmm. I don't know anything that somebody would want to ask my weird ass. I'm a strange dude, so. Say again? Know. 
I said, I'm a strange dude. I don't know why somebody would want to ask me. You know what I'm saying? I don't got no answers, man. All I could share is questions. All I got is questions. <laughs> okay. I don't, you know? Okay. I don't got no answers to nobody, man. Okay, well, um, you talk about you being a weird guy. What's the most mundane thing about you? I value peace more than excitement, I would say. That would be the easiest way to put it. I will always choose peace over excitement. I would say I would rather have a peaceful experience than an exciting experience. That's the best way I can put it. I'd be around people that make my life peaceful. They'd be around people that make my life exciting because I feel like I get enough excitement for my career and for my ambition. So, Did this come to you uh, later as an adult or is this something that, uh, that's been, that you've known for a while? Uh, that's a good question. Um, well, I mean, a part of it is that, well, you know, some of my friends say that I get into modes where I just hate everybody. And on some level, I do hate everybody. <laughs> just people in general. I just don't like people sometimes. The people I like, like as a mass, as a group, you know, people are just, to me, mostly terrible. In my, That's just my opinion. But, individuals are beautiful, you know, and, and life is ironically to me also about other people, right? Life is about people. Like, I don't know. It's like this weird contradiction. And I felt like I've always been struggling with that internally. And what I realized after having so much fighting, so much wars in my life and so much battles and having no peace ever is that, the most valuable thing in life is peace and the most valuable people in life are the people that help you facilitate an environment of peace because really only in peace can you truly be your best self, you know? Yeah. Because you're a different person depending on the environment that you're in. So the goal is to create an environment where it's not to change who you are. It's to create an environment where you, that helps you facilitate being your best self so that you can be, more for other people, if that makes any sense. So, you know, if I ever have a peaceful environment, I can be a better writer. If I'm a better writer, my words can infect and inspire more people around the world. Question number six. If you could create a new holiday, what would it commemorate? I'm waiting for the day where, you know, uh, you know, my people, black people in America will have mental and spiritual freedom, true freedom. Our bodies are free, but uh, we're trying to get our finances and our mental free. And I would love a day that will commemorate that freedom when that day comes. So that's what I would like. A friend of mine calls it, actually, he was a guest on here, Miguel Hampton from episode two, told me one time, um, there's a difference between freedom and independence. And yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like, and I'm, I'm, I reserve the right to be wrong, period. It seems like you're talking about more independence than freedom. Is that accurate or mm-hmm. no? No, 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 no. That's 100% accurate. You know, we, 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 we're so dependent on a system that doesn't give a shit about us that is borderline insane 
And I got to give it up to, you know, our sisters and stuff like that. Because a lot of ways, they're really leading the charge in this modern time. But so many people are aware of this. And there's so many people taking action. You don't hear about them in the mainstream. But thank God for social media. You know, that's done more to, like, help us see our situation and confront our situation and make a choice. Because, you know, it's not our fault, but it's our responsibility to save ourselves. And a lot of people are out there just out there doing that and making it um making it happen. So I feel like it's something that's definitely growing. I think the awareness is there, the infra and the infrastructure is being built. We just gotta keep the faith and um you know, onward and upward. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you. Yeah, man. Thank you, man, for having me, man. So Man, that was a great interview, and thank you once again for joining me on Demond Does. And remember, leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app so more people can join the conversation. And next week, we have a first. Well, another first. Well, it's kind of a second, really, because next week, I have... A returning guest for the first time. I'm going to ask six different questions. I may have another guest that, uh, in a voice that you may or may not remember. Join us as we chat with Nicole Kurtz. So until next time, see it, hear it, speak it, 